All right. Well, good morning, and I hope you're glad to be here. I am. I've been gone for two weeks. The first week I was on vacation, and last week I wasn't feeling well. So um, I'm glad to be here this week, and I hope you're glad to be here. That means either you're not on vacation, uh, that could be a sad thing, or you're not sick. That's a good thing, right, that you're here. So I hope you're glad to be here. I know when I'm gone. Um, how much I appreciate the live stream and uh, being able to watch and uh, still be fed and uh, worship. So for those of you that are joining us by live stream, I'm glad that you take the time to invest in your spiritual life this way. We need each other. We need to hear God's word, and that's why we're here today. In my own time, I've been pouring or spending a lot of time in the book of John and especially in chapters four to se- 14 to 17. So when Dave asked me, okay, another week, can you fill in? Um, I thought, you know, I really want to talk about how Jesus prays for us. It is incredible. It's really remarkable in John 17, the things he prays for us. So my first thought is, I'll just talk about John 17. And then I thought, <laughs> There's way too much here. We're just going to look at three verses. One of his requests for us. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to John chapter 17, we're just going to look at verses 20 through 23. And I'll read this word that we're going to pick apart and then we'll pray. John 17, 20 to 23, this is Jesus himself praying. He says, I am not praying, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you that we're here this morning and that we're welcome in your throne room, that when we open your word, it's as if we just consciously stepped into your presence. And you are speaking to us. You want us to hear your voice. That's why you've given us your word. And so, Lord, we pray, would you give us ears to hear? We want to hear and understand what you have for us, your desire for us, and give us a heart that will respond to whatever you show us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. Thank you so much for Jesus, who has made our access to you even possible, and for all he's done for us to make us yours. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Oh. So my outline today, we're going to look at four questions. First, what does Jesus ask his Father to do for us in just this one passage? Then why? Why does Jesus ask this? Why is it important to him? Thirdly, I want us to think about, has God answered this prayer of Jesus? And fourth, what is biblical unity? How do we as a church body or a family grow in unity? I hope you leave here today with a new, ah, that's, that's what it looks like in our congregation to be in unity. And before I start, I want to say two things. Um, First of all, I know when Jesus wrote this prayer, when he spoke this prayer, he didn't write it, he spoke this prayer, he was speaking about the worldwide church of believers. But for us today, I want us to just think about each other, like look around. We are family, we are brothers and sisters, so today I want us to just think about HCC as a body, as a family, how are we doing this? And secondly, I want to say, I can teach this with a real sense of relief that I have no idea, absolutely none, if there's any division in this church. That's a good feeling. I've been a pastor's wife, and if you are a leader in the church, or on staff, unfortunately, you get to hear about the disagreements more than maybe the rest of us. So I can teach this this morning knowing that I'm not speaking to anyone specific. I don't know who has a, who's disgruntled or who might have some kind of uh, something that's bothering them that could cause division. I have no idea, and that feels really good. <laughs> so let's go backward. The first question was, what does Jesus ask the Father to do for us? First of all, notice verse 20. Jesus, at this point, he's talking to his disciples. And this is a prayer. This is a conversation he's having with them right before he heads to the cross. I mean, these are like his last words to them. And that puts a lot of weight on it. But here Jesus says, now I'm not just praying for you guys you disciples of mine that have walked with me for the last three years. I'm also praying for everyone who will ever believe because of your message. So that's us. That's us. He's praying for us. And notice verse 21. What is the specific thing he asks for? I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. And in verse 23, what does he ask for? He says it a little different way. In the sentence that starts with may, he prays, may they experience perfect unity. Wow. What do you think of that? So why does he pray this? He says it twice and pretty much uses the same words. He says, I'm praying this, that they'll be one the last line, so that the world will believe that you sent me. And then also verse 23, 
says the same thing. After may they experience such perfect unity again so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. Jesus is helping us to see that our ability to attract unbelievers to Jesus is based on what? Unity. Our unity. Amazing, huh? <laughs> well, when I study, um, first of all, I want to read everything around a, a passage. Always read the context. Know who's speaking, who they're speaking to, what's going on. That's important. And then secondly, for years I've been on this uh, path that I learned uh, youth with a mission. Rick was invited to teach at a discipleship school, and I was fascinated. These young people in this discipleship school were being taken through every book of the Bible. But before they dug into a book, they had to read it 30 times. I thought, wow. I never even tried, never even thought of that before, but... I came home and I start small. I think, let's see, I'll start with Romans 8, one chapter. I read it every day for 30 days and it was incredible and I was hooked. Now I'm reading John. I still sometimes take small passages. I'm John 14 to 17. Read it every day. Every day you read it, you see something new, and then you start to see how they connect, and then you see the bigger picture, and then you see the deeper picture, and then you see more and more, and it's incredible. So I, I encourage you to try it. Start with one chapter if you want, and just give it a try. But then the third thing I do when I'm studying, the Bible is its best interpreter. So when I'm sitting down to, to find something to share, I get out my Bible that has good cross-references, and I look up all the cross-references. Well, this is where I was surprised. As I looked up cross-references to John 17, verses 20 to 23, those three verses, I spent hours and had lists all through the New Testament there are instructions and encouragement for us to be one, to be unity, to live in harmony, to have one mind and one purpose. I wish, last, last night I was thinking, I wish I would have taken time to see if it's in every book of the New Testament. I'm convinced it's a major theme. There were so many scriptures. At first I thought, I'll just share with you 10. We'll just read right through them. Then uh, that's too many. <laughs> then I narrowed it down to six, and this morning better narrow it down some more. So here's four. There's so many, and they're so good. They really help us understand, give us a picture of what unity looks like. So First Peter one twenty two says, "You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth." So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Do you look at the people sitting around you as your family? Brothers and sisters. Well, here's the qualifier. The people who have been cleansed from their sin because they've accepted Jesus and obeyed the truth. Like because they've obeyed the truth that Jesus is who he said he is. That he came for us, all of us who are sinners. Anybody qualify? 
He came for all of us who are sinners. And he took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness, all because we put our faith in him. We're not depending on our good works, not depending on anything but Jesus. Faith alone, by grace alone. People like that, that's who we can have perfect unity with. We can't have unity with someone who says Jesus was just a great teacher. You understand? There's a qualifier. But if you're one of these kind of people, then look at each other. Other people around you, this is your family. These are your brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. In 1 Peter 3, 8, it says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Okay, we're going to talk about the one mind. Um, I'm going to break that down a little more. I'm surprised how often it's found in the epistles, that word, one mind. Uh, this is how you do it. Sympathize with each other. If you see somebody who's struggling, think about, how would I feel if I were going through what they are? What would I want somebody to do for me? How could I help them? Um, be tender-hearted. That's evidence that the Holy Spirit's in you. He gives you a tender heart and a humble attitude. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony. Live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind. There it is again. United in thought and purpose. Paul's encouraging the church. Don't, don't stand for division. Don't, don't let it exist. Work at living in harmony with one another. And this phrase, united in thought and purpose, one mind. Again. <clears throat> and one more. Ephesians 4.15 says, this is Paul now, and he's a prisoner for the Lord, and he says, I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know what that sounds like to me? Keeping unity might be hard work. <laughs> got to bear with each other. we got to put up with each other. <laughs> you know what that's like in a family, right? <laughs> Happens in the family of God, too. We're all different. And uh, it's going to take us learning to be patient with each other and make every effort. That means work at keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, <clears throat> has God answered this prayer. This is when I would rather be sitting at a table with a small group. I, I like to teach, uh, to lead is how I look at it, because I like to learn from you. I would love to know how you'd answer this question, but we're not set up for that this morning. But just think about it. Has God answered this prayer of Jesus's? I mean, surely he would answer Jesus' prayer, right? Jesus prayed that we would all be one, that we would live in harmony and unity. 
And when I thought, now has God answered that? My first thought was, mm, I don't think so. And that's not based on our church. Like I said, I don't know. <laughs> it's just based on, for me, the American church. I just came back from Taiwan two years ago this month. And in these two years, I have seen there are so many more reasons for Christians to disagree with each other. Would you agree? There's a lot of things we don't see the same. We don't even need to talk about it. We know what they are. <laughs> so has God brought unity? Uh, and then I thought, well, look at it another way. Have you ever met somebody for the first time and you just felt this immediate bond with them? Like you, they were Christians, you were Christians, you felt so comfortable and your friendship came so easy. There's just this natural bond because the spirit that lives in me lives in them and that's our bond. Jesus connects us. And in that sense, I would say, yes, that's what he's done by giving us his spirit. And it made me think of Tainan. I had a great joy and privilege to serve with Rick in an international church in Taiwan. In our church, during the time we were there, there were people from 27 different countries. Now, that's diverse. We didn't look alike. We didn't think alike. We didn't even talk alike. Like, everybody in our congregation had English but I'd say 95% of them or more, English was their second or third or fourth or fifth language. It wasn't their first language. And so their English, I had a hard time understanding sometimes. And they had trouble. We all spoke English. We didn't all understand each other. So many differences. But let me tell you, diversity is God's plan. Just just look at how different he made all of us. He made us different so that we can learn from each other. And I remember in the services, I loved to go to the back of the room during worship and just let my heart take in the way all these different ethnicities worshiped. We had a lot of university students. <laughs> And they're full of energy. And those African students, they cannot stand still for nothing. I mean, during worship, they're not just clapping and dancing and shouting and yelling. They're jumping up and down. They are so excited, so joyful in their worship. And it blessed me so much to watch them. And then I'd watch Taiwanese people. Who I feel like Taiwanese people are so easy to love. They have a real gentle, humble spirit. And it's not unusual during worship to watch them fall to their knees. And what I saw in them is that worship was a time for them to submit to the Lord, to not just bow their heart, bow physically to God and on their knees raise their hands and worship Him such reverence they had, such humility, such submission. I also had a young man from a Muslim-dominated country. Actually, it's illegal to be a Christian where he grew up, so he grew up in an underground church. That young man, 
He'd often leave his seat and go back to a corner in the back of the room. And he would lay prostrate on the floor. When I saw him worshiping like that, I thought, do I have that kind of reverence for God? So I learned from all those different ways of worship. There's not one right way to worship. There's not one wrong way to worship. Watching the Africans made me want to jump up and down. <laughs> watching the Taiwanese made me want to bow and surrender. And watching this young man from Saudi Arabia made me really check my own attitude towards God. God made us different to learn from each other. So yes, I do believe God has answered this prayer, the bond that we have with people who are not like us. I do think of unity, though, as one of those already and not yet things. There are several um, words in Scripture, theological concepts, that are already and not yet. And what I mean is that you know that if you have... Um, ask Jesus to cover your sins and he's taken his sins from your sins and given you his righteousness. He looks at you right now and says, you are righteous in his eyes. I mean, that's your position before him. That's when you came to Christ. You're righteous from that day to the day you see him. But I know I don't always act righteous. I know I sin, so it's one of those processes. Like in the present, this is a process. I am learning what it looks like to live like a righteous person. And I'll never be completely righteous till that day when I see him face to face in heaven. Well, that's an already positional thing that's a process that's not quite finished yet. And that's the way I think unity is. I think our position in the past is Jesus accomplished our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ when he gave us his spirit. That day that you gave your life to Christ, that he became your Savior and your Lord, he gave you his spirit. And that's your position. And now the present is where we work it out. This is the practical unity. I believe our unity grows, becomes stronger, more fortified, more evident, as we grow in Christ's likeness. Now, if you've ever been through marriage counseling, maybe you've seen this diagram where uh, one spouse is here and one spouse is here. Lots of things they don't see the same. <laughs> but as they look to Christ, the head, the author and finisher of our faith, as they keep their eyes on him and grow in knowing him and grow in in Christ-likeness, becoming like him, being molded by his spirit, the closer they grow to him, keep their eyes fixed on him, the closer they get together. You can start out here, end up here. That's what he's doing in us. The more we grow in Christ-likeness, the stronger and closer our bond will be. But I'm pretty sure a perfect unity doesn't happen in this life. This is our process. We will not be free from sin until we're in heaven, right? So there's always going to be. It's inevitable. <laughs> our hearts 
sometimes deceive us and we have trouble liking someone or getting along with someone, in heaven there will be perfect unity, free from sin. There will be no conflict in heaven. Isn't that great? <laughs> Good thing. So let's move on. What is biblical unity? I decided to use a scripture uh, that, again, one of the many scriptures I found, I felt like this is a good picture. Paul is saying, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Now, just stop. Think of the messages we've had on the kingdom of God. We don't live in the kingdom of the world anymore. We live in the kingdom of God. We're citizens of heaven. So conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. If you live in the kingdom of heaven, you're a citizen of heaven, act like it. That's what he's saying. Live a life worthy of the good news. So Paul says, whether I come and see you or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Paul says, whether I come and see you or whether I hear about you, you know people in our community, they're watching us. They may know you go to church and when you're in the grocery store waiting in a long line, they're watching you. <laughs> we represent Jesus wherever we go. So, um, or maybe they just hear about us. Maybe they hear, hey, you ought to check out HCC. That's a place where the people love each other, take care of each other. It's a great place to be. Paul says the evidence is that you stand together. Let there be no division in the church with one spirit and one purpose. We've got to understand that. And we fight together for the faith. And this is what he wants us to to be strong, strongly vocal about the good news. What is the good news? The good news that people want to hear good news, right? People want to know that there's hope. People want to know that you can have peace in the midst of incredible turmoil. The good news is that Jesus died for us all as sinners so that we could live with him forever. Be bold about sharing the good news. So now we're going to spend some time in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 8. Paul starts this, um, this section with four questions. And I feel like this section of scripture gives us another picture, a good picture of how we can grow, what it looks like as we grow. So Paul starts with four questions is the way it is translated in the New Living. And as I read these, think about how you would answer them. Do you have any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is that an affirmative? Yes. Have you been comforted by his love? Do you have fellowship together in the spirit? Do you look forward to being with your brothers and sisters, being 
here with your family? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? If you can say yes to those four questions, then most likely you're a true child of God. The Holy Spirit's at work in you. Those things we can't manufacture apart from His Spirit. So Paul says, if that's you, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Now I have to tell you, this one mind keeps coming up in many scriptures as I'm reading all these references. One mind. You know, I can't understand. What is Paul saying? Because I know we don't all think alike. Right? Let me just ask you, does anybody here think that men think differently than women? Anybody agree with that? If you're married, I'm sure you're convinced. I was thinking of the conflicts that we had were based on the fact that he didn't think like I did. And I thought he should think like I did, right? So I, I can't imagine that we could all be of one mind, that we all think alike. That's not what Paul is saying. Here's where I uh, ended up going for help. And I will recommend to you, John Piper on YouTube has a podcast. It's just eight to 10 minutes. He has, and he takes one scripture or one short segment and he works through it word by word to help you understand. And because I haven't studied Greek, I went to him and said, well, how does Piper explain this? And uh, he said that that word for mind, one mind in the English, the Greek is so much bigger than that, that there's not one English word that fits it. And that happens often in the Greek. The Greek is a lot fuller. So this helped me. Piper said it's one mind set. Like our minds are all turned the same way. We have the same framework, the same perspective. Our minds are set. And that made me think of Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Do you know that people whose mind is set on earth have a different perspective than us who are on our way to heaven? And that's our focus. We've set our mind up there. That's what we live for. So we need to have the same mindset, okay? And then in uh, the next verse in Philippians 2, he talks about uh, we have the same attitude as Christ had. That's the same word in Greek, the same attitude. And the same attitude as Christ is what we're supposed to have. And then one purpose. When we're all focused on the one purpose, proclaiming the good news of making Jesus look great. That's what it looks like. That's our one mind, one purpose. That was an aha to me. I, I was glad to, to learn that. So let's go on in Philippians 2, uh, verse 3. Paul says, this is what it looks like. Okay, this is what it looks like to have one mind. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Kind of the opposite of the self-esteem movement. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. 
you must have the same attitude Christ had. So these scriptures, I feel like, are just so helpful. Um, and um, I know <laughs> that because God talks about it so often in the New Testament, it's really important to him. It affects our witness. It makes, it's what makes us more effective. You know, nobody likes to be lonely. I think people crave a community, crave a family, crave a place where they feel accepted just like they are and loved just like they are. It's not our job to change people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I just want to encourage you, if you have a disagreement with someone, use these scriptures to check your heart first. Make sure the aim is unity and the aim is love. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, you can have all kinds of words, lofty words, even words of prophecy, but if you don't have love, they're like a noisy gong. We gotta have love when we talk to each other. Gentleness, humility. Jesus said it like this. He said, a new commandment I give to you that you love. Just love one another. Just as I have loved you. That's a pretty high standard. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know. This is how they know that we're true believers. If you have love for one another. Jesus doesn't say, you know, this is a suggestion. If you want to have a, a thriving church, a, a happy family, I might suggest that you love people. <laughs> now, Jesus, what's the word he uses? Commandment. And his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are good. He says, you live like this, you obey this, you will reap such benefits. And the fact that he says, love one another like I have loved you, I'm thinking, that looks impossible. <laughs> Just like sometimes unity with people that are so different from me it looks impossible. But if Jesus prayed it and God commanded it, then guess what? We can't do it without him. His Holy Spirit living inside of us will enable us to love even those who get on our nerves and annoy us. That's how we prove that we truly belong to him. So another thing you can do for our body, I believe praying the scriptures that God wrote down for us. It's like he wrote down these prayers and said, hey, this is what I want for you. Every time I see a prayer written out in scripture, I'm going, this is a prayer God wants to answer. You want to have a prayer life that God answers your prayer? Pray scripture. So we can pray this. It enables the Holy Spirit to just get into our hearts and work. Paul prayed, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that... With one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. 
body of, of HCC. We are a family here to work together, to walk together, to make Jesus look good, to glorify his name. That's an attractional church, I guarantee you. If people hear how we love each other, we take care of each other, we serve each other, and we find great joy as we do that, when they hear about us or they walk in the door for the first time, they're going to sense that. And everybody wants to be in a community like that. Don't you agree? So you can pray that prayer. We can pray it together. Unity has great rewards. I'll end with this. Psalm 133. Just verse 1 and verse 3. The beginning and the end of the psalm says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. I mean, you should look forward to going to a place like this where there's such love and unity. It's a good place to be, a place you want to be. And there, get this, the Lord has commanded a blessing. Life. Life now, abundant, fulfilling, joyful. A life to be excited about. Life that lasts from now through eternity. We don't merely exist. We have an abundant life we want to share it with others. God commands that blessing on us as we work and walk together in unity.